0: Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to DiscerningHearts.com and click the donate link found there, or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks, and God bless.
1: DiscerningHearts.com presents Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek. Dr. Turek is a Professor of Theology and Chair of Domatic Theology at St. Patrick's Seminary and University. She received her doctorate in Sacred Theology at the University of Freiburg in Switzerland. Her other publications include Towards a Theology of God the Father, Atonement, Soundings in Biblical Trinitarian and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek. Here is your host, Evan Collins.
0: Yes. And, and I think something that is also helpful is like there's, I'm thinking of multiple different things, so I'm just going to kind of splatter it on the board and see if it, see if it helps a little bit, but the love of the father, when we're talking about this, this, this love that is generative, like when we receive it is that when our hearts are hardened because of sin, he softens our hearts. And then when our hearts are softened, then we do experience the pain, of what the consequences of sin are. But yes. he has given us the grace through his love and his witness and his his story through the scriptures to convert, which is to change, to get back on the right path. And that right path doesn't mean that we lose who we are. It's that we actually embrace who we really yes. are. Yes. And so that's the whole concept. So there's a there's a false identity. Um, there's a false concept of identity that's very popular now, which is an idea that so close to the truth. That is so close to the truth, which is that the way that you know I was born or I have to discover my true self or X, Y, and Z, and then other people need to accept me just as I am. But it's an idea that doesn't acknowledge concupiscence, the effects of sin, all of the 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 prelapsarian elements of this world that is like the post fall, and we sit here and go. Yeah, you know, the truth about that statement is you are completely worthy of love and dignity just as you are because you are a human person capable of receiving and responding to truth and love. And that is amazing. And that is totally good. But the father's love is a love that acts as the good Samaritan does, picks us up off of the side of the road. And the good Samaritan doesn't just pick this guy up take him to you know the inn and then leave him there. He actually gives money. He says, take care of him, nurse him back to health, and then I'm going to be back to make sure that all this is going on there. And that's kind of how that's an analogy that Jesus gives us of his love, but also the love that yeah. we are supposed to enact for others. And so what we do when we forgive others is there is a level, of course, in any situation where you are not going to be the one to change somebody's heart, but you present an opportunity for reception of love and that just because someone doesn't receive the love and they remain in the ways that are leading themselves to destruction and alienation of themselves and isolation from the communion that they're called to, that doesn't mean that we celebrate their alienation and what is hurting and wounding them. That's not what we are inclusive about as Christians. What we're inclusive about as Christians is the complete and utter, the unalterable. No matter what somebody does, dignity of the human person. Every single person that exists has dignity. From people who are born with disabilities, from people who are born with who are born in an unwanted pregnancy, from any of these situations in life where people have been wounded or altered or made decisions that have inhibited them or made them dangerous to society or x they all still have complete and utter dignity and that is what we are in call- called to include but then exactly what you're saying in imitating and taking on the father's love we are called to bear the guilt of others in in as much as that we always provide the opportunity for their conversion and transformation to be who they were made to be. That was the Christian line.
2: Absolutely. And you know, Abbott, again, handing the mic to Pope Benedict XVI, he wrote, and this is from my book page for your listeners, page 188 through 189, and even a bit into 190, where I talk about the excommunicate person and our mission of co-atonement. Yes, And in this section, I base these reflections very much, largely, on Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict's stance. And here he has, just as you said, here's his challenge. Here's his challenge. Talk about excommunication. This will challenge us Christians who care so much about, and it's, you know, doing what's, what's right and making sure we're not compromising the gospel or in any way, what shall I say, allowing the sacramental life of the church to to become banal and da-da-da-da. Here's what he says, though, about the purpose of excommunication. You know, we were talking about inclusivity, well, here's excommunication. He says that the primary aim of excommunication is to induce repentance, so this pierce that heart so it's open to sonship again and to lead to the restoration of full communion with the Lord's church. And he says the suffering of separation that the excommunicate person endures can be likened to a kind of ecclesiastical or state of exile. And then Benedict will go on and challenge us who are enjoying full communion with the church, to, just as you said, keep in mind that insofar as we are in communion with Christ, we share in his mission of atonement. And therefore, let me quote Benedict, the excommunicate should be, is supported by the love, that love you were talking about that's countercultural, that's counterintuitive there, supported by the love of the living, Body of Christ by the sufferings of the saints, and he means saints in the church, not not just canonized. But right now, amongst the the living, who unite with his suffering, unite with the excommunicate person, and his spiritual hunger, and both parties, the excommunicate person, and and those enjoying full communion are enveloped by the suffering, the hunger, the thirst of Jesus Christ, who bears and endures us all. Still Benedict. On the other hand, the suffering of the excommunicated person, his stretching out for communion, the communion of the sacrament, and communion of the living members of Christ, this hunger, this suffering, of the excommunicate is the bond which unites him to the saving love of Christ. Remember, he hungered and he thirsted from the cross. Here, too, therefore, the healing of love takes place, which is the ultimate aim of Christ's cross, of the sacrament and of the church. We can understand how, paradoxically, the impossibility of sacramental communion experienced in a sense of remoteness from God. Now, in the pain of yearning in the excommunicate person's heart, this is all meant to foster the growth of love and to lead to spiritual progress and indeed to the atonement of their sin and reconciliation with God and the church. But the point is, what Benedict was saying, is We who remain within full communion with the church don't sit there and just look askance at those who are excommunicated. Rather, we should look upon them with the eyes of Christ himself hanging up from the cross and Mm -hmm. thirsted, thirsted that all might be restored to the bosom of his father. And so Benedict says, you all, you should accompany them and mostly in a hidden spiritual way. Are you offering up your prayers? Are you offering up your works? Are you, in a sense, practicing spiritual almsgiving, giving your spiritual treasures away to the excommunicate persons, in order that they be restored? It's, it's right. like you're saying this, our love has to be universal, and it has to be prodigal almost wasteful we we give it all as Christ does on the cross we give it all handing it over to the father trusting that the father's will shall be done you know somehow according to his plan but it is not for us to determine who we will love and how much we give
0: it all and embracing yeah. a love like yeah. that is part of our own salvation because it prevents yes. us from going inwards to ourselves and viewing salvation as something to have a covetousness towards as thinking we this is just for me but instead we when we go out to others we love them with the the love of like uh, i've heard people say of the prodigal father you know like yes. um, like the prodigal yes. son like that father is like prodigal in his love in in the best way possible when we love in that way it reminds us what christ's love really is like and for for us and it, and it makes us removes us from the very easy sleight of hand of the ego of um yes. thinking that I earned this you know um you didn't earn it you didn't earn it and you were a sinner it left to your own devices you know anyone who's done the ignatian exercises knows we shouldn't be sitting here looking at other people saying you are probably going to hell you're probably going to hell you're going to hell no jesus really does say don't judge and that's what he means but instead what we should look at and this is something that many of the doctors of the church say when we look at our own sinful actions we should say wow i could see how i'm on the pathway towards hell left to my own devices. But thank God, the father, that he sent his only begotten son and saved me. And then we reciprocate that by living in that mode of love and charity towards others. So then, and let me, I want to translate this into a tangible, practical life. So that means, and we use this analogy earlier, that we don't judge other people in the sense of condemning them. We sit there and we say, oh, well, they they're living this lifestyle that's not in accordance with church teaching you know they're a drunk they're a gambler they're sexually licentious they're confused about their identity and we don't view them as lepers to be avoided and disdained and ostracized from the community but instead we say i once was lost but i've been found and if they are lost and seemingly so they are because we all have that ability to see that in the sense we can say, okay, instead of viewing these people as a social contagion, a sin, a spiritual contagion to be avoided, we say, but I'm a son of the father and I'm a daughter of the father. And, and as much as you, and we ask the father, father, how can I love this person right now? How are you asking me to step into their life you know, and that could be in in multiple ways. That could just be from the spiritual act of interceding and offering it up for them and letting your heart be pierced by the suffering that is the waywardness that they're experiencing, the isolation and the estrangement that's going on in them and having that level of genuine empathy because we know what that feels like in our own hearts and we offer that up to the body. Or that means something even more profound where you're stepping into their life in some way and you're showing them love and that doesn't mean every single time that you're sitting down and you're giving the person who's struggling with, you know, same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, the TOB lesson. That doesn't mean that, that it could mean that, and it should mean that in some capacity, because you should be imbibing that in your own heart. But what it really means is that when you're interacting with any person like this, you are always living out of truth and love, affirming the totality of their dignity, even if they are not themselves. And that's in any situation. And so that's if you're at work and people are gossiping or X, Y, and Z, you're showing charity towards everybody. Even if that person that everyone's gossiping about actually is doing bad things. (laughs) Um, and, And that's the reality of this. And so to kind of bring it back to that idea of the excommunication, we should all realize that in our own hearts, we have often excommunicated ourselves. And yet, the father pursued us and brought us into communion with himself. And so Joseph Ratzinger offers a beautiful and I think a little controversial idea for fasting and for entering into estrangement, this excommunication with others, embracing that gap that is Jesus's love that you outlined so beautifully, where he actually says, and to kind of uh, provide a little bit of ease into this. Liturgically, this fast already exists because we don't actually celebrate Mass on Good Friday. So if he offers a beautiful practice for Good Friday in particular. Um, and he gets it from Augustine, I believe, that we can abstain from receiving the Eucharist on Good Friday, but spiritually identifying with the Lord Himself, who willingly renounced um, the fell presence of the Father, right? We can abstain in an act of Solidarity and praying for the conversion and the sanctification of those who are removed in a real way from the Father's love. They are excommunicated in some capacity. So we abstain entering into that solidarity with them. In a sense, we're entering into the thirst of Christ. This is that thing that the Sisters of Charity have embraced so beautifully, Mother Teresa in particular, that Jesus thirst for souls and we enter into that and we offer in this really very 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 deep and controversial mode of not receiving the eucharist in it on that day because we want to show the profundity of what it means to be able to receive the eucharist and be in communion and we offer that up as a form of intercessory prayer
2: yes actually benedict says it's a form of it's a he says it's a spirituality of communion, part of of a spirituality of communion. That's right. So there's there's the paradox again. Mm-hmm. Though we're abstaining from receiving Christ, uh, Euchar- his eucharistic body, nonetheless we're in communion with Him because in Him, through Him, with Him, we are willingly relinquishing. They're sort of that the, the sacramental presence of the Son, just as he willingly relinquished the felt presence of the Father on that very day. Yes. So for, for Benedict, it is a spirituality of, of communion where we are being drawn into Christ's own act of suffering the consequences of someone else's sin. Yes. but thereby, that, that's a form of, of communion. Yes, communion with her, those sinners, but also, and primarily, communion with Christ, solidarity with Christ. That's right. Who, who is the exemplar in leading us to do this kind of thing as he relinquished the felt presence of the Father, who is his food, you know, who is his food, so we relinquish willingly on Good Friday. Um, they felt so this this kind of sacramental presence of Christ and thereby unite ourselves very intimately with Christ crucified. Yes. You know, I, I wanted to add though here, Evan, so that others are are not unsettled by what might uh, uh, seem to be a, a one-sided focus on God's merciful love. Mm-hmm. Uh, that merciful love, as you know so well, I mean, it, it embraces his his justice, and it embraces his wrath. It embraces his judgment. In the section uh, of the book uh, where we're talking about uh, Ratzinger Benedict, the spirituality of communion for those in the church to practice vis a vis excommunicate persons, he says, and, and here I should say, "quote are, we must be mindful of that rule which we stated everywhere. And here's where I both of us are. A Christian can share burdens and be in solidarity with sinners. And in specifically in, in this section of the excommunicate persons, precisely in the measure that he has separated himself from sin. That's right. So when you know when you are giving the image of, of running after Sinners and and so on. Of course, you mean you don't run after them in such a way that you in any way compromise. That's right. Your, your own your primary solidarity with God, your rootedness in the Son Himself. Because all that you do, all that you are, and all that you do should be ever as sons in the Son. If you reach out and recall to reach out, that outreach is is one that never separates from your rootedness in the Lord Jesus. That's right. In his godliness.
1: We'll return to Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts.
3: Litany of Humility
1: O Jesus, meek and humble of heart,
3: hear me. From the desire of being esteemed,
1: deliver me, Jesus.
3: From the desire of being loved,
1: Deliver me, Jesus.
3: From the desire of being extolled,
1: deliver me, Jesus.
3: From the desire of being honored,
1: deliver me, Jesus.
3: From the desire of being praised,
1: deliver me, Jesus.
3: From the desire of being preferred to others,
1: deliver me, Jesus.
3: From the desire of being consulted,
1: deliver me, Jesus.
3: From the desire of being approved,
1: deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated,
3: deliver me, Jesus.
1: From the fear of being despised,
3: deliver me, Jesus.
1: From the fear of suffering rebukes,
3: deliver me, Jesus.
1: From the fear of being calumniated,
3: deliver me, Jesus.
1: From the fear of being forgotten,
3: deliver me, Jesus.
1: From the fear of being ridiculed,
3: deliver me, Jesus.
1: From the fear of being wronged,
3: Deliver me, Jesus.
1: From the fear of being suspected.
3: Deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I.
1: That others may be esteemed more than I.
3: That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease.
1: That others may be chosen and I set aside.
3: That others may be praised and I unnoticed.
1: That others may be preferred to me. In everything,
3: that others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus,
1: grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. We now return to Atonement Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I yeah, I'm so glad that you actually brought that back up because that's exactly that was the other one of the other aspects I wanted to talk about is we need our hearts to be purified, to actually mirror the Father's love in the way that we're being called to, to actually embrace Christ's heart. And that's why it's so important to live the a life in the sacraments, a life in the church. Yes. because the church as a good, beautiful, holy mother, Instructs us into the proper way to live a fulfilling life. And of course that looks different for different people in some capacities, but it's never different in the context of the moral law, which is not changing. So we don't, though God has forgiven us of our sins, he calls us to sin no more. That is so important and so we can't, obviously this would be the peak of hypocrisy (laughs) to be going to others and to be telling them, oh, change your life, come to Christ. And, and you're not changing your life at all and thinking that Christ merely um, is coding over your right. sins. But instead, right. no, he calls us to be purified of our sins. He is removing the sin. That is something that's happening in our life. And then as it's removed, we're actually being restored. So in the way that sin was acting as a cancer, Obscuring who we really are as human persons, Christ comes in as the good physician for those that are sick, and he removes that spiritual sickness that's leading us towards eternal death. And he gives us the gift of spiritual health, which is eternal life, which is life in the Son. And then we live in the Holy Spirit. And it's not to emphasize as well something that we're talking about. Living a life of charity is a life. It, it is a life of virtue, but it's beyond virtue. Yes. It's, it's a life that is more than just human virtue. It is a life living in the love of the sun. You know, that is incredibly profound. And so, and we should probably wrap up, but that idea right there, that is the love that makes Christianity credible. That's the love yes. that is the light to the world. Because, That is a love that you can only live by grace. So this is something that's different than any other uh, self-help guide or philosophy Mm -hmm. of life or anything like that. This is something that you can only do by the grace of God. And the locus of that life of grace is life in the church. And that's life in the sacraments in particular. And that's what it means to be able to live a Eucharistic life, you know, we really are called to live lives with purified hearts where we're fully loving each other. And we, we genuinely do not desire to sin, but instead we desire to give completely of ourselves to others. And you can't do that on your own. You can only do that by the love of Jesus, by imitating Christ, by receiving the Father's love.
2: I again listening to you. Uh, I, I cannot not. Once again, quote, from the first epistle of John, chapter 4, mm-hmm. I think it's uh, verse 12, where he says, once again, no one has ever seen God, means the Father. He says, no one has ever seen God. Yet if we bow, we bow one another, God remains in us, and his love. it's not merely a his law, is brought to perfection in us. God remains at us, he's at work in us, and his fatherly love then again is brought to perfection. What is the perfection of fatherly love? What is its result that it aims at? Engendering his living image, his living image. We love one another, as you said, as Christ loved us. We love one another. That's God's we we become in and with Christ, yes, co-atoners. With Christ, but also co-revealers of the Father with Christ, yes. Letting the Father's love be at work in us, we show forth a love that is more than human, mm-hmm. a love that is to the glory of the Father.
0: Yes, very, very cool. And that's when we walk around, we 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 can show a love that forgives, that endures all things, and we can genuinely be leaven in the world. Because the context of all of this is that um, we're living in the world as Christians. We're living in the world. And yet we get to be that light to the world, that light to the nations. And it's not because of something that we have on our own. Now, we do have an inherent dignity. We have all of those things. But what the life that Christ is calling us to is so much better than what it would mean to just remain in, in your sheer humanness. Instead, it's us being human in communion with the divine, yes. with in communion with the Trinity. And so we're showing the world the depths of what they can be as persons in relationship to others. And yes. so it's it's absolutely incredible. And I love that you referenced John again, because those letters are so perfect. And it's exactly right. Like We can't hate our brothers as Christians. We have to love them. That's something that John says. And The one of the last things I want to say, and then this can be kind of something that we can wrap up on, I'm going to say it, and then you can give any final thoughts that you have here. But I love the little appendix that you give at the end of the book, um, formation of missionary disciples. I thought it was great. And I personally liked it because I think that it's an important supplement for a lot of the very good things that people are talking about right now in regards to missionary discipleship. You end it with a beautiful passage from Balthasar from his fantastic little work, Heart of the World. And so I wanted to read that little bit as something that we can all take to prayer and think about. Now, this is Balthazar. He's writing, quoting Christ when he speaks this. So that's kind of his mode of writing in this really poetic and beautiful work. I am the light of the world. And without me, you can do nothing. And beside me, there is no light and no God. But you are the light of the world, a borrowed but not a false light, burning with my flame. You are to enkindle the world with my fire. Go out into the furthest darkness. Take my love like lambs into the midst of wolves. Take my gospel to those who cower in the dark and in the shadow of death. Go out, venture beyond the well guarded fold. I once brought you home on my good shepherd's shoulders, but now, The flock is scattered, and the gate of the pen gapes wide. This is the hour of mission. Out. Just as the Father has sent me, so do I send you. Going out from me as a ray from the sun, as a stream from its source, you remain in me. For I myself am the ray that flashes forth, the stream that is poured out from the Father. Just as I radiate the Father, so also are you to radiate me. So turn your face to me that I can turn it out into the world.
2: That is a beautiful, beautiful passage. Nicely done. Our conversation should conclude with that. What I want to add, God is love. And the way we've come to understand this, divine love, is that he gave his son. He sent his son as expiation, as atonement for our sins. Some of our our listeners might be unsettled that we haven't used the, the language of justice or or wrath or even judgment are often enough. And I do want to assure them that if, if they pick up the book, I mean there's, conversations have their own momentum, you know, mm-hmm. and themes emerge and you're faithful to you follow it through. But with the book having been written over months and months and months, even years, it had been in gestation. There, there is Care was taken to make sure, in fidelity to my four main guides Father Norbert Hoffman, Father Hanser von Walthasar, Cardinal Ratzinger, slash Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, and then Pope Saint John Paul II—that we take seriously. They take very seriously this God of Love, whose love, in the face of sin, in dealing with sin. Confronting sin uh, does take the mold or the form of wrath or judgment. And the, the book very carefully and prayerfully and earnestly brings to light how wrath is wrath, and yet always as a modality of love, the divine wrath and divine love are never separated from each other. They're not to be understood as at odds with each other, but rather divine wrath is only rightly understood as a modality of divine law. And, okay. and similarly, uh, judgment. I, I think of the passage, I believe it's the very first verse in the first chapter of Isaiah. In any event, it's where Isaiah, the prophet, is speaking of Yahweh who will work redemption through judgment. Through judgment. Redemption is is not accomplished by God in any other way, but through judgment. That judgment then again is a modality of God's redeeming love, his merciful love, his love, blah blah. But in dealing with sin, it takes the form of judgment. And and for your listeners to understand that, please. Get a hold of the book and read it through very prayerfully, very carefully, because the theme of divine judgment and of divine wrath is addressed in the Old Testament and in the New. And hopefully it is, it's done in a way that's that's very true to biblical revelation.
0: Yes, I, that's one of the things I loved the most about your book. It's one of the most commendable aspects of it is how well you treat the idea of wrath and judgment as a modality of love and how seriously you take that in the scriptures in the old testament and in the new testament because i think any of the listeners here and anyone who's read the bible realizes that god takes sin very seriously and so none of the conversation that we have here is meant to obscure the magnitude of sin but rather To show that in the midst of the magnitude of sin, God's love is still more. God's love is still deeper. It's still more present. And so I think that that is the most important thing for everyone to see is that it is. It's a very fruitful thing to meditate upon the law of the Lord and the judgment of the Lord and his justice. That's a very fruitful thing. But don't stay there. Let the Father take you to the reason for his justice, which is his love, because he wants you to be who you really are, which is not a sinner, but it's a son or it's a daughter. That's what he wants you to become. And that's what he's enabling us to become by his generative love that we will receive um, or that we can receive that's present that he genuinely desires for all of us to have instead of being afraid or viewing it as contradictory. That the father is just and merciful or the father's judgment and yet the redemption of us you know instead of viewing these things as in contradiction we can enter into the tension that really is present in our hearts but we can say oh my goodness how good is our our god how good is our god the father is so loving and to receive that and to realize that he's so good that not only Does he take deathly seriously sin and want to save us from sin and that he does save us from sin, but that in the midst of that, he says, not only will I save you from sin as my beloved, but I want you to work with me in this vineyard to bring others into the banquet, into communion. And so our faith is better than merely being saved from sin it's beyond that. But yeah, that's absolutely true. But it's beyond that. And so that's why it's so important. So yeah, Margaret Turek's book, Soundings in Biblical Trinitarian and Spiritual Theology, Atonement right here, absolutely worth um, anyone's time reading. You don't have to be a theologian to grasp the depths of this book. You don't have to be in graduate studies. You can, if anyone who's willing to pick this book up, and slowly and prayerfully read through this labor of love that you've made, Margaret, I think will definitely get something out of it that will lead them into a deeper appreciation and awareness of the drama of salvation and the love that the Father has for them. So thank you for writing it, and thank you for the time that you've spent talking with me about it. I hope that it was fruitful for you because it was definitely fruitful for me.
2: Oh, and it was a uh, delightful just delightful and it's been a a grace a blessing to get to know you through our conversation so god bless you thank you for giving of yourself and of your time to these conversations and may the book as well as our conversations and in fact our apostolate of discerning hearts may it bear abundant and enduring fruit Mm. for the glory of god the salvation of souls, and the sanctification of the world. Amen. Amen.
1: You've been listening to Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek and your host, Evan Collins. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com as well as in the Free Discerning Hearts app or on your favorite podcast streaming platform. You can also view this conversation on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. To learn more about the book on which this series is based, go to ignatius.com, the website for its publisher, Ignatius Press, or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel this worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Atonement, Soundings in Biblical, Trinitarian, and Spiritual Theology with Dr. Margaret Turek.